Hi, this is Vanessa Sunshine. Hi, this is Alicia. Hi, I'm Georgia Love. I'm Osha Ginsberg. If you're listening to the sound of my voice, you are on the Bachelor of Hearts podcast. What do you do with an arts degree? I'm still not sure I know. I skipped three years worth of lectures just to binge watch awful shows. There must be some scholarship for accruing worthless knowledge. It's my only talent, honey. That and losing money. Let your excess hex debts rest and then just join us while we start on our bachelor. Welcome back to the Bachelor of Hearts podcast, the Bachelor Australia podcast that asked the question, the Lockie twist? Man, I was just getting used to the Tootsie slide. I don't know. <laughs> My name is Max Quinn. Boiling inside a vat of chips and gravy is Xavier Rebetsky Noonan. Hi, Xavier. Hello. I'm hanging out here with five hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Making her first appearance here on the BOH pod. She is a writer editor and batchy recapper. You might have read her in L Harper's and Marie Claire. She is the non-pareil of nap time, the world leader in Wanderlust, Autumn Aperol <laughs> Advocate. Sukriti Wahi is here. Hi, Sukriti. Hi, guys. Actually, that intro was more amazing than I could have imagined. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're so welcome. Uh, I first came across your writing recapping Bachelor in Paradise earlier in this year, demanding justice for Naranga. It's a cause that we share. Uh, and then since then, I've read more of your writing uh, on the Black Lives Matter movement and in particular, an article that you wrote about colorism and how it differs from racism. I'm going to drop a link to that in the Bachelor of Hearts Osh posting group on Facebook so that you can get in there and have a read of that. I do want to talk though a little bit more as we go through these episodes about that. But first, can you tell our listeners where we can find you on social media, how we can read your writing, what you're passionate about? Give yourself a plug. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Sukriti Wahi. I know that's a tricky one, so I will spell it. S-U-K-R-I-T-I-W-A-H-I. And you can catch me writing all things Bachelor and Black Lives Matter on Elle and Marie Claire. Hell yeah. So you and I were also texting yesterday about how boring all of the episodes of this season have been (gasps) outside of the premiere. What do you think has been contributing to that? I guess we should just start there as an overall, like, there's a sense of malaise that's hanging over this season at the moment. There really is, and it's had some of the worst ratings, I believe, of all the previous seasons, which is really telling you something because we're in the middle of a pandemic. Most people are in lockdown. (laughs) No one's going anywhere. I mean, if it's being beaten by the Masked Singer and Highway Patrol, then we really have to think about what is happening here because it is a beloved show, and as much as we love to trash elements of it, there's plenty to enjoy, except... right. Of course. I feel like this season, there's a few things happening. It's come off the back of Bachelor in Paradise, which I feel they were rushing through, trying to maintain some sort of momentum to keep us going to get to this point. Bachelor in Paradise had plenty of problematic things. And I think what the mistake they made there, they're making the same mistake here, which is one, Mm. they're focusing so hard on having characters. um, I guess you could say like a villain is a character. So they're just filling it with 
types to grab particular sound bites or just right. contrive drama. I mean, it's reality, and I say reality in air quotes, reality TV, but it's it's more contrived than usual. It's almost borrowing off of another reality show that has dinner parties in it. And <laughs> I feel like that's, you know, straying away from the DNA of the show, which is it's not really what we signed up for. Right. Uh, you know, it's almost like the show is, is for some reason not here for the right reasons. Oh, never <laughs> heard that before. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear. Uh, so, yeah, it is. Um, episode three was as close to a bottle episode as we have ever seen in this franchise. Dave, I saw you have your hand up. Yeah, I think another thing that contributes to the fact that these episodes aren't very interesting is that they're very short. I mentioned last week that episode two was the shortest episode that they had played in two years. Both of the episodes from this week were four minutes shorter than that one. Um, And you can also feel that they are trying to stretch the pre-pandemic content of this season. Yeah. I think the structure of these episodes uh, lacks whatever like fundamental interestingness that it would typically have. Um, which leads to us kind of just being like, wait, are we still in a cocktail party? There's just more conversations happening. Like it's, it's feels unmoored. So do you think what's happening here is, uh, they had a certain amount of content that they'd shot before the pandemic hit and they're trying to really make the most out of that to sort of like, not let you get to know the characters, but to milk that drama because they're worried about the product that they've got with, you know, zoom dates, so to speak. Yeah. I have a feeling like they're, they're, uh, they need the normalcy of this part of the season mm. and um, I think they're a bit worried about what happens and therefore, <laughs> as a viewer, so am I. I don't know what to expect <laughs> from whatever happens next. I'm very curious about it, but it doesn't spell a lot of confidence. Yeah. Suki, do you feel inspired by uh, by what you've seen so far and does it give you hope for the future? At this point, because it's been so- such a mess. I am looking forward to the Zoom dates because in a weird yeah. way, it will be a novelty, something we've not seen, but not something that is, you know, covered in toxicity, hopefully. And I right. do think that is another reason to add to what Zave said is it seems to me like it would be harder to manufacture drama over Zoom dates. So right. they want to sure. hook you in as much as possible, stretch it out as much as possible, because by the time it gets to that, you're going to have to look at them earnestly having conversations, hopefully, and they're just praying that we'll be into that. Right. I think we've got like a handful of like quote unquote villain characters, or at least like, you know, people that could be set up in that way. And I think we're going to see some of those people falling by the wayside once we go into the COVID territory and there's less like group dynamics at play and there's more like people sitting in a bathtub and the other person sitting in a bathtub or whatever it is, you know? I guess we need to establish uh, a cast of characters for Paradise next year should it come around as well. So we are serving a purpose in that way. I guess this is as good of a jumping off point as any for The Bachelor Australia Season 8, Episode 3. I mentioned a bottle episode earlier. Xavi, uh, let me start with you. Uh, can we talk about what that is and why that's interesting for this show? Well, yeah. I mean, a bottle episode is this traditional sort of sitcom lingo um, or even just you know TV episode lingo, which means that it's basically a very self-contained episode that takes place within like one setting. And it's typically cheaper to produce and easier to control. And particularly in a reality setting, like having everything take place in the one sort of set piece um, means that they can, they have more control over the situation. Yeah. So you want to think about like the um, community episode where it's like pizza and the darkest timeline or 
um, the Friends episode where it's like structured as a play and they're all preparing for Ross's event, but they're all inside the apartment. And what's weird about that is exactly as you say, like it's a trope usually held for scripted TV rather than reality TV. So this is kind of groundbreaking, but I'm not sure that it's particularly successful because I think in order for this to work, you need to have an amount of drama that is like someone called The Bachelor a dog cunt. Do you know what I mean? Like that level of scandal in order to have sustained, interesting drama, you know, for for an episode like that. And to to that point, I don't think we even spent a whole episode on the the dog situation last season. No, it was probably the usual, like maybe slightly longer, but probably 15, 20 minutes at the end of an episode. Yeah. Um, Suki, are you feeling the drama as this is coming out? Or are you kind of bored by it? I'm thoroughly bored by it. What is it that like, what is it that we're missing? Uh, What's the missing ingredient? Missing ingredient. I, I don't even know if it's a missing ingredient. I think it's exactly like, it's just too many flavorful ingredients that it's yeah, right. creating a stew that is competing for, you know, the, leaving an impression in your mouth. By the end of it, you're just, I don't want any of this. So, <laughs> right. You might even say the burrito is too spicy. I mean, <laughs> they have had a lot of conversations about spicy food, surprisingly, yeah. on this yeah. show. And comes up again yeah for for a show that is having that many conversations they're really lacking like genuine spice genuine chemistry it's not working yeah um it is interesting zave that it might even be uh anytime we can shoehorn it in i do love it (laughs) We do need to double back for a second, though, because uh, we want to pay lip service, at the very least, to intruder Caitlin, who arrived in the wedding dress at the end of the last episode. Um, coincidentally, it does seem like uh, she's someone who Lockie would like to give some lip service to, uh, <laughs> as we see them spend some time together on a batchy couch. Caitlin says that Lockie's tattoos are so hot, including the one that appears just to be like a Sanskrit polygon that begins at the bottom of his neck, and then comes up to his ear for no apparent reason. It's the most aimless tattoo that I've seen. Suki, I can see you rolling your eyes. I mean, I can't get past the strength and honour. I didn't, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> it is fun. If you're not watching on the HD channel, it just looks like a sort of vague, like, grey blur in a straight line. <laughs> it looks like uh, Missing No, the, the Pokemon that you would only right. encounter through a glitch. <laughs> Um, are you are you feeling it with Caitlin Suki? What's your impression of her? I kind of think of her as like an intruder Barbie. I mean, Ariba kind of called her mm. another Barbie doll. Not to not to hate on Caitlin, but like in that moment, that's that's the only impression I got of her. For sure, like what right. you're supposed to concentrate on is the way that she looks and not what she has to say, which sucks. Yes, yeah. suck. The other thing that this feeds into is Ariba's desire to kind of like stoke drama and uncertainty back in the mansion. She comes in and describes Caitlin and Lockie's chemistry as whoa, and also out of control in front of Bella, um, who you might recall, Bella is the winner of this season and has been since she appeared on our screens in a beautiful princess (laughs) dress halfway through the premiere. So Ariba is really interesting. I'm here for Ariba. I want to say off the the top, I think she's like a really compelling TV villain, but she's also here to like indulge her own desire for drama. And I'm interested in her presentation as the villain for this season and also as arguably like the most visible person of color that the, that the show has this season. Suki, I'm interested in what you think about the show's presentation of Ariba as 
a woman of colour and as a villain on, on TV this season? Uh, I'm a little bit torn and conflicted when it comes to Ariba's yeah. edit. Part of me feels like she is playing it up. And up until a point, it wasn't toxic or anything. Her, her comments weren't particularly insulting towards anyone. They were just a little bit shit-stirry, a little bit yeah. cheeky. Right. Yeah. Um, then there were a few stray comments about, yeah. oh, I'm prettier than so-and-so. I think I actually noted like the first time when I was like, oh, that... I mean, because, you know, I, I really wanted to believe the absolute best about her edit and, you know, she's kind of kidding and, you know, like she's just having fun and knows how what she's doing and how to be a reality TV villain. And then I think there was like one or two comments and I was like, oh man, she's not perfect. Yeah, you know. it's it's hard. It's hard. And I think one thing that is, oh, and I'm, it's going to sound a little weird as a person of colour saying this is part of that is that we are also multi-dimensional giving us screen time doesn't mean we're going to be perfect people right it just means we're still here for the same amount of representation right right so i mean while i want to be yeah i'm a bit disappointed that it feels a little bit like okay they picked the darkest brown girl in the house to be the quote-unquote villain for the season Mm. um and that too just weirdly after Zoe Claire made her whole hair rant in the premiere, which I'm still not over. In fact, I keep reliving it and realizing I should have been more outraged by it. So it, it, it's like a weird way to turn her into a villain, I yeah. guess. So yeah, it's like I want to be, I want to be really supportive and be like, yes, you know, good to see another brown girl, and it is. And I would love the idea of, you know, she's repping me in a way that makes me proud. But I can't, I can't say that because we're not simplistic, perfect goody-two-shoe people in real life either so right sure people are multifaceted and complex and have the ability to be multiple things at once and exactly it is teasing out that thing of like visibility being one thing and arguably a very good thing here but also you know i think there's a lot to be said about the show's failure to legitimize people of color as viable romantic leads outside of like brooke on the honey badger season and renee in paradise you know we would not be analyzing Ariba through this lens or discussing it in this way if there were other, like a considerably larger number of people of color in the cast. But because of the small number, she has to become like a representative and she has to, you know, there's an immense amount of pressure on her, I think. Absolutely. I wonder if this is now a good time for us to talk about colorism. It's a thing that, uh, Yusuke, you wrote this really interesting article for, for Elle and it was one of those pieces of writing that that made me sort of stop and give me pause and I'm wondering if you can sort of give us a little bit of information about what colorism is and how it differs from racism. So colorism and racism are interlinked but they are different. In fact um, Lupita Nyong'o, the incredible actress, Oscar winner, she spoke about it really eloquently and she described colorism as the daughter of a racism in a world that rewards uh, lighter skin over darker skin. So ultimately, ultimately what it comes down to is the discrimination based on skin colour, which is what we think racism is. I guess, in, in fact, more than colour, it's skin tone because okay. colorism is about the darker skin being discriminated against. And that can occur within an in-group, like a particular ethnicity. I'll use myself as an example. I'm Indian. And within the Indian community, both in India and broadly speaking overseas, there is a a sort of preference for fair skin. Uh, 
as the beauty standard, as the Eurocentric beauty standard, um, but it can also occur from an outgroup towards the same race. So you can have an Indian girl who's darker, you can have an Indian girl who's lighter, and typically the outgroup will still treat the Indian girl with lighter skin in a, in a better way. And so I wonder if what we are seeing a little bit on this TV show is that conscious or unconscious intersectionality of um, a difference in the way that the show is presenting Ariba versus how they're presenting someone like Juliet or Charlie, who are more white passing women of color. Is that how you see colorism and racism playing out in that way on the show? I do a little bit. In fact, one of the things that struck me, um, my colleague and I were discussing after watching the show, was how the sort of people of color or the ethnic group and I have been part of many of those, um, you know, they're really banded together and you could see a real distinction between the, yeah. the white girls and the non-white girls. And then of the non-white girls, you had Ariba as the sort of ringleader of all of them. And I mean, mm. visually, the optics of that did pretty pretty well lend themselves to this sort of colorist lens. Yeah, yeah. And so I was looking that through, like, and Ariba, as she's speaking, is getting the snake sound effect, you know, and the villain strings. And while, yes, uh, it is one really cool thing for a person of color to be on screen and saying, I'm a boss, and also looking straight down the lens of the camera and saying, I'm a bitch, and acting that out and being exactly who she is and who she wants to be, there's also a point where I'm like, well, I want you as the show to be casting for women of color who aren't just there to be villains and casting the um, spectrum. With that said, what a villain Ariba is. She's the sort of person who, I agree with you, the the thing that she said about Juliet and how pretty she was, and there are a couple other things later. I was like, okay, cool. Well, obviously, exactly as you say, Suki, we're not perfect. However, I do think that she's self-aware. Yeah. And I think that's part of what makes a great TV villain, uh, no matter who you are. And she's just, like, extremely engaging and entertaining, and I think she has watched a ton of The Bachelor or a ton of reality TV and, like, knows the things that make a character on that show engaging and entertaining. Um, mm. And, yeah, I, I'm, I'm on board. So let's now move to the cocktail party because literally the entire rest of the episode takes place here. And honestly, I wish there was more to report. <laughs> um, like, the whole thing revolves around this decision that Ariba and Christina and Juliet make to approach Lockie as a trio and get some time in with him. So quickly, there's this montage about star signs where like Ariba is basically shitting all over the Zodiac. And then some of the other women are like cheersing to Lockie being a Virgo, same as Arena. And oh my God, you guys, what a Virgo move. Am I right? Uh, how dare you as a Virgo? <laughs> We're entering Virgo season. <laughs> Xavier, do you ever see Virgo's catchphrase? <laughs> Okay, so the three-on-one chat is actually, I think, quite an interesting play. Like, we've not seen this on the show before, and Juliet really makes a point of flagging this for us and showing us just how savvy of a move this is by saying, we had the intelligence to do a threesome chat. And they do get some key information about Lockie out there from this chat. Firstly, they ask him if he'd prefer a burrito, a kebab, or a butter chicken. Um, Can we just do quick... Can we just, just run the tables real quick here? Uh, I mean, I, I would be, I, I can't decide if I would be a bad Indian for peeing butter chicken or a good Indian, but I feel like <laughs> I should pick it. <laughs> okay. Xavier, where you at? I don't know. I mean, they're all good. I feel like if, if you wanted to make the theming across the three of them consistent, you could do like a chicken tikka wrap or something. Cause we've got two wraps mm-hmm. and it's just not fair. It's not a fair con- comparison. 
she also says uh, you need someone who's not vanilla. You need someone who's chocolate or caramel or um, dulce de leche. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Dulce de leche. Mm. But like much better than star signs, IMO. I like that when they ask about like, are you a butter chicken or whatever? He gets all flustered and he's like, you know, I can't do spicy stuff. Because apparently even like the whitest curry <laughs> in the entire world, butter chicken, is... And then finally they dance up on him like it's last call at Rick's Bar in the Fortitude Valley. I've been to Brisbane, Suki. Impressive. Um, I don't know whether I should be impressed with a valley (laughs) reference. But the drama that really comes out of this decision is that Juliet gives Lockie a handwritten letter while it's all wrapping up. She mentions that she had it stored in her, quote, upper body section. (laughs) (laughs) The letter itself is really interesting. Mm. Um, I zoomed in and wrote down a bunch of what it said. (laughs) Yeah. Are Are you guys ready for this? Do tell. Okay, okay. So it says... This is the stealer vote advantage. At the next tribal council, you'll be able to steal the vote of one player. Unlike the standard extra vote, the use of the vote steal requires the player to state their intention before any votes are cast. And let me tell you, this is a big fucking deal. Like, it has the ability to swing an entire tribal and unseat the majority alliance if played correctly. There's a lot going on here. No, it actually says, um, dear Lockie, misspelled, uh, you have a huge, majestic presence and... A beautiful, captivating energy that causes me to shake. Me in this cocktail dress is not the real me. I don't wear makeup and I love the outdoors. I had feelings for Eleanor that I've actually never felt for anyone in my life. She gave me butterflies every morning when I saw her. (laughs) I'd be talking to her and I'd be busting to go to the toilet and I would rather piss my pants and sit there and talk to her (laughs) than go to the toilet. There's a lot to unpack. I zoomed in and I saw parts of this letter that were not read out loud by Lockie. I thought it was very funny that he read out most of the letter. Um, <laughs> but there's a, there's a chunk where she's like, there are many aspects to my character. I love to dance and socialize. I have a hunger to live life to the max because we're not promised a next day. I've experienced a lot of tragedy and violence in my life, which has pushed me to, to develop a sensitive yet cheeky and strong personality. And I think that is the actual meat of this letter. And I think what... What the the part that has been cliffed out sort of uh, implies yeah. is the part of this letter that is like, I'm not like other girls or, you know, the, the part that's like, um, I actually love the outdoors um, just like you and the part that's like, um, I'm very like naturally good looking and I don't need <laughs> makeup. Like I think... That is that is a really interesting part for them to have cut out and not the part that's like, here are like three to five different things about my personality that they will never show in this season of television. I'm curious as to whether he actually said it about, like anything about the other stuff and they just chose the first part of it. Right. Or if that yeah. was what he took away for his quick little soundbite before he was dragged back in, right. into the party. But given his track record, I'm leaning towards... That's what he picked out of it. <laughs> he just skimmed it. Yeah. What's your impression of Lockie so far? Uh, you know, he's he's just a standard guy. He's a standard. <laughs> he's a standard bachelor guy. He's the I love action sports. To his credit, that is his business. 
that is what he genuinely does. It's not just yeah. a hobby that he apparently has that will only come to light on TV for a date and then they never do it again in the rest of his <laughs> real life. Like gridiron. Exactly. So, yeah, I'll give him that. I'll give him that. He genuinely does love the outdoors and all the action sports, but it is pretty, like, typical of the script. And he's basically right. looking for someone who is him, but with boobs, maybe. I think we've had the sort of like adventure bachelor type of thing before. I think it's not new territory. And I think maybe last season with Matt Agnew, who, you know, was not a perfect bachelor, but I think had a bit less of like wanting to foist his interests on the women. Um, Whereas a lot of the, I mean, from what we've seen from these first four episodes or whatever, really seems to be like him having a great time doing a thing that he likes. And there's also a woman there, you know? (laughs) Or a group of women there. But the big lug does seem quite touched by this letter. And what we see next is Laura. You remember Laura? <laughs> he said, sorry, he says, it literally blew my mind. You're literally a box full of everything I want to get to know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we next see Laura watching Lockie approach the gathered group of women, hiding something behind his back. And probably she thinks it's a rose, uh, but really she is still holding on to hope that what is behind there is in fact a designer handbag as a gift for her. <laughs> in much the same way that sometimes my cat brings in a lizard and lays it down at my feet as a present. She's like, it's definitely one of two things. <laughs> <laughs> and the other option is Louis Vuitton handbag. Louis Vuitton. Right. Um, it's a designer handbag. <laughs> so, yeah, what happens here is that Lockie is on a beeline for Juliet and he takes her away and gives her... Arose, and this, as you say, is precisely where shit hits the fan because as soon as Ariba and Christina learn that sneaky, snaky Juliet has manufactured a small piece of paper from her upper body region and viciously handed it to a 30 year old man she's trying to impress, <laughs> it's on. So, my first question last week, we saw a young woman whip out the chatterbox, and this week we're passing notes in class. <laughs> is anyone picking up like real year nine vibes in the way that this show is presenting? Women in particular? I mean, in more ways than one. <laughs> mm. Talk to me. I hadn't really pieced that together, but it's a good point. <laughs> How many ways? How many ways? Let me count the ways. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's plenty of fodder for it, right? So this is um, where we hear Ariba say, uh, there's no way that Juliet is prettier than me. How dare she betray me? She was privileged to be hanging out with me and Christina, which I imagine is how like Pop and Snap feel about Crackle, who is clearly separately <laughs> the best rice bubble. <laughs> I don't think I'm making a controversial statement here. No, I think we all agree. Crackle's got it. I don't know what it is, but Crackle has it. <laughs> <laughs> but we should talk about like uh, whether or not Juliet was dogging the boys in doing this, right? Like I don't, personally, I don't think she was. Suki, do you? I don't think she was. I think they their plan was we, we'll go and get his time. But then it's up to you. Even once you're sitting there, what you say is not coded. You didn't pre-plan the conversation. At least I don't think they did. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, she had a pre-written note, which was clearly put together before there was any kind of like quote-unquote alliance or whatever. Right. And also the, the giving of a note is such a standard Bachelor move. It pops up like season after season. And it's just a pretty good surefire way of being like, I'm going to communicate with you, but I'm also not going to like waste any of your time, you know, because one of the great faux pas of a cocktail party, (laughs) 
is is to like chew up too much of the batchy's time and it makes everybody else upset. So if you just go, hey, by the way, here's a note, like that's being conscientious, if anything. It's efficient. It is. And we right. love an efficient woman. <laughs> But this obviously isn't how Ariba sees it. Uh, so, yeah, as as you said, she calls Juliet a fake-ass bitch who has no idea what's coming for her. And then it's just this messy spiral of drama that I didn't find interesting or take any notes on pretty much until the rose ceremony. Somewhere in here also Bella takes Lockie away. When you think about what happened here, so they kiss, she's the winner. There's a bit of drama about, like, Bella grabbing Lockie for a conversation despite already having a rose, right? Which is not a super popular move with the other women, but again, it's a pretty standard behavior, I think, at this point. Like, it is kind of a quote-unquote dog act or whatever, but because it happens season after season, I almost feel like we need to kind of just readjust the etiquette goalposts in a way. Like, it is not an ideal thing, but also everybody is there, you know, trying to find time to talk to him. Um We learned that Lockie was going to grab Bella for a chat anyway, so it's just super not a big deal. Um and then I think it's interesting that they share a kiss at the cocktail party and they get like this twinkly, beautiful, romantic music. Even though in previous seasons when somebody like Abby kisses the bachelor at a cocktail party, it's a huge problem. It's a huge dramatic situation. It spirals everything into, into chaos. But it doesn't really seem to cause any kind of disruption at this cocktail party. Um, you know, a few of the women are a little bit emotional. Maybe they're, they're a bit worried that they're going to go home tonight, even though... Um, the people that are going home tonight we've literally never seen before. Um, and they also play the, like, um, this piece of music called In the Hall of the Mountain King, which is this very, like, um, look how silly this thing is type of music. It's the little, like, um, it's got, like, pizzicato strings that we talk about a lot. And it's like the do, 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 Oh, yeah. Sugar Plum Fairy um, shit. Right, yeah. In fact, you know what? I was just humming the <laughs> Sugar Plum Fairy. But it's it's that type of thing where it's like, you're meant to go like, ha ha, how silly. All these women are really like upset and distressed. It's amazing what a difference the music makes. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. The way that it informs our perspective and, you know, like if you put uh, Ariba, Ariba's arc over music that was like triumphant rather than the mm. that we get, it's a totally different story. Well, it, cast, it takes my mind back to the premiere, actually. I know it's a bit of a segue, but... You know, there was all this wifey music and then the second Zoe Claire got out, it was like, I love rock and roll. Like the music was <laughs> so intense. I was like, okay, we know something's going to go down. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it is time for uh, Leilani, Georgie, and potentially someone else who has simply lost Malena. the annals of time. Malena. I hardly knew her. Mm. <laughs> uh, Georgie was my winner pick as well. So Max, you oh. and I have both... Our winner picks have both gone home. <laughs> I picked Paige, who got two words in. <laughs> what Aww. were they again? I'm Paige. Right. <laughs> that does bring us to the end of episode three, and we should move right on to The Bachelor Australia season eight, episode four. And this is where we learn that Nicole has opted into a date with Lockie after playing her triple threat rose. She has, quote unquote, finally used her triple threat rose. <laughs> It's very interesting. I never understand this. Why don't you just hang on to it for longer? You are guaranteed to stick around. And Lucky is planning to trick Nicole by telling her that she's in for a bit of a light bushwalk, but actually she's going to be doing some extreme sports athleisure. Good. Love these dates. 
Fantastic. Yeah, it's, uh, it's you know, she uses her, like, one element of power in the show and then he goes, ha, 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 I've got for you a lucky twist. <laughs> lucky. <laughs> lucky. Bachelor of Hearts podcast. Did you know that this part of the episode was directed by M. Night Shyamalan? <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Well, because of the twist, which is that they have oh. to abseil down what Lucky describes as his office. He's like, this is my office. Oh, my God. Uh, not, not great. Don't love it. Suki, have you ever gone on the, um, the traditional uh, <laughs> rock climbing date? I cannot say that I have. Ah. And I cannot say that I am disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> to his credit, Lockie stresses that if Nicole wants to be a big wussy chicken, they can leave and they can go home and have some chips and gravy. But then he also starts going... Buk, 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 <laughs> so it's a little bit of a mixed message. Uh, so yeah, the, the the vibe here is that Nicole will have to abseil down an open cliff face in order to complete the date before kayaking down a river filled with piranhas and sad memories. And <laughs> to top it off, she'll then have to get her means, merit and patience tested by the federal government as she stands in one of those several never-ending lines at Centrelink. It's going to be good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, the pressure when you played the rose, you know, it's right. not just another single date. Like he, oh, he just picked you and you're going. Like she played yeah. it. It's almost like she instigated the date. Right, yeah, right. You He's like, this. you brought us here. <laughs> <laughs> Are we sure also that the triple threat rose isn't just a coded way to say that your life will be threatened three times? <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, yeah, so the the offer of chips and gravy is never really on the table here. And instead, this poor woman will have to walk backwards down a full-on cliff before then scaling a separate wall of rocks while she literally wails and Lockie cheers. Right. He mentions this is also a Lockie twist, which is just like, come on. <laughs> Um, and then the the best compliment that he can offer Nicole is to call her a rock climbing chick. It's what we all want to attain, right? Is this a compliment? He also said Steph eating a burrito was literally amazing. Fuck. So <laughs> right. we know where his eloquence is at. <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 similar to the single date we saw last week. It's a lot of Lockie saying, like, this is amazing. I'm having a really good time. And Nicole just, like, screaming in actual terror. Do you want to talk uh, a little bit about the cool girl trope that you wrote about, Suki, this week? Because um, I don't think there's much time here for us to touch on Steph. She's pretty invisible through these episodes, but I think that what you said was quite prescient and we sort of are seeing that trope built in to all of the dates that Lockie goes on where it's kind of like, can this chick hang with the the bachelor on a sport date? Where to begin with the cool girl? I mean, she's been around for a long time in movies and books and TV shows. Some people may remember she was really well captured and defined in Gillian Flynn's Gone Girl, that incredible book and then movie. Essentially, the cool girl is the ultimate heterosexual male gaze fantasy. Yeah. She is the size two, I mean, I'm using American 
Americanisms now because I'm thinking back to that Gone Girl definition, but she is skinny with no effort. She loves all the same things guys do. She is down for anything and there's no complaints. Ultimately, there's no complaints and ultimately she is extremely hot with no effort. Those are the core tenets of being a cool girl. Right. You can have all the sort of other characteristics of the cool girl, like doing the activities he loves and not just because you have to to impress him like you want to you inherently just magically you live for it you like that stuff yeah but if you are outside the beauty norm then it doesn't really matter you'll never be defined mm. as the cool girl so it it really comes down to that mm. right and like we can see it as like how aspirationally the show presents that as well you know what i mean like it's sort of like a very coded way of saying like you want to aim to be this girl who's climbing a rock to impress this man, which is simply I I see as an unrealistic standard, you know, like I think it's interesting as well because like obviously reality TV is all about archetypes, you know, yeah. and it's about like very basic and very clear communication. And, you know, maybe uh maybe these women are being themselves and like, you know, they just uh, they just love burritos and they just like abseiling or whatever. Screaming and like, in terror know. while they're abseiling. Well, okay, that's not a great example. It's a good point, but like you know, there's a there's a degree to which like if we assume that they're like succumbing to patriarchal expectations, then we're just adding another layer of expectation onto this situation that they're you know that they are going to have to behave a different you know. Uh, prescribed way or whatever, but um, I've lost my thread. Um, but I think what you, what you say about the like beauty normative nature of it is really interesting because there's no like we're not impressed when somebody who is like overweight eats a burrito or um, that sort of thing. It's like it's the, it's a double standard. It's an expectation. I mean, he said it himself. He said it in that one line. Anyone who looks like Steph and then can smash a burrito, <laughs> right. that is, like, literally amazing. Yeah. There's no correlation between... No. Unless you're no. saying she can keep eating and not gain weight. And that is a problematic statement. But it is one that, mm. I mean, a lot of people have been brainwashed into thinking. And not just men, women too, because it's For so sure. pervasive right. in... Right. In film, TV, everywhere. Right, and I think that the reason that you say size too is because this is this American culture that has been put upon us as a, you know an Australian society, and uh, the the Western view of beauty is warped. Extremely. Yeah, yeah. Um, we should also consider maybe Lockie's love language is just surprise feats of physical endurance. That's it's it's probably on the cards. That's here. the rarely discussed yeah. what seventh one? Is it sixth? <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, yeah. Look, my problem with this though is that it's not conducive to good romance television or good drama television. You know, like we've seen in Paradise that these action adventure dates aren't necessary in order to create compelling TV. You know, like the the time that abseiling was the best in Paradise or sailing of any kind is when Jamie was talking and Tim was like, "Gotta go." Gotta right. go out on my paddleboard. <laughs> it does lead to really good, like, uh, action adventure filmmaking. And if anyone wants to see an eerily sim- similar uh, part 
you know, similar to this part of the show, you should watch the beginning of Mission Impossible 2, where Tom Cruise does basically this exact scene. Really? Yeah. And then at the end, he picks up these like Oakley sunglasses and they play the mission that he's got to go do on the inside of the, uh, you got to check it out. It's Mm -hmm. fantastic stuff. It's very romantic. (laughs) (laughs) These kind of dates are so superficial. Like they prevent us from emotionally investing in the women or Lockie. And that means that by the time that we get to the end, there are no stakes, right? Like what is the dramatic tension here? The optimal outcome is chips and gravy. And as much as I love hot potato and a dipping sauce of choice, mine uh, called spaghetti, um, there's <laughs> simply no chance that this date ends that way. And that sucks. I know. And I was really mad that he didn't give her the rose after the rock climbing. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know? Let's talk about that here because, like, this is um, only to serve this very see-through drama about, like, why Nicole doesn't get a rose, but then later Roxy does get a rose, and it truly doesn't matter. This woman, but, like, the the thing is, like, what you uh, put through in this is, like, something that you clearly don't want to do, and the way that this show has taught us that you reward that kind of behaviour is with a a fucking garden stick. That's what we're all working towards. It's what we're working towards. It's... I don't know. Thorns and all. Thorns and all. Yeah. If you don't get to collect the big gold star at the end of the level, like, is it over? Yeah. Or are you just, like, weirdly hanging out outside Bowser's castle, like, waiting for, I don't know, waiting Fully. for Goto? Honestly, they had they had to push it. He probably wanted to give it to right. her. But they had to push it to complete her triple threat arc by the latter half of the episode. Here's the other thing. I was so surprised that in the three legs of the triple threat took place over the course of one episode. Would you not think that if you were stretching this show out because of COVID considerations, Mm. why wouldn't you make the most of this? And, like, if it lasts over two weeks or four episodes or however long it happens to be, like, it feels longer because we're waiting longer to watch it. And you're like, oh, shit, this woman's still on her three dates with Lockie. I just feel Mm. like that's a missed opportunity because, like... Instead, we burn through it really quick and Nicole's over and done with before it's, you know, before it's all said and done. Right. And we will probably not see very much of Nicole until, you know, the final, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if she gets voted out halfway through, you know, it's the sort of thing where at this point, I just, I just don't know what's going to happen. I'm so excited for a virtual rose ceremony though. That thought just occurred to me now. I know. I want to know what that is. What does it mean? I feel like it will just be a rose emoji. <laughs> You're probably right. <laughs> Do they still have to get dressed up and stuff? Oh, I, a thousand questions. So many. Um, so, yeah, what happens here is that they kiss and someone's clearly operating a drone camera nearby and we hightail it then to a batchy couch in a nondescript setting. We learn that Nicole has been single for six years. She's been in a bunch of almost relationships. It's never worked out. She's a dance teacher. She's looking to settle down. And it's at this point that Lockie wants to clarify uh, whether or not Nicole would also be willing to move overseas and teach dancing in Bali. Like, it just occurs to me at this time, someone, I I don't know, like the crux of this season is that whoever wins is going to have to move to Bali to be with this man and do extreme sports. And why would you move to Bali? Yeah. You could move to Perth. <laughs> it, like, it, it's, it's, I mean, it's unfathomable that they're all from Perth for some reason. I don't know what's going on over there. Um, but like the extra ask of go to another country and teach children how to dance is like, 
an undesirable outcome, don't you think? Mm. Yeah, she's like very quick to assure him that like she's cool with it and she's not going to complain and she's not going to make it a whole big deal. And she's like, oh, I love traveling or whatever. But it is like kind of sprung on her. I don't know how clear it was to her that that would be part of the deal before this happens. I don't know how clear it was to me. Well, yeah. And then the way that Lucky compliments her after this is like, by mostly talking about how willing she is to go along with like the adventurous bachelor date and how great she was for giving it a shot. And he's like, you know, all you have to do is try it once and you never have to do it again. And I'm like, well, you didn't really have to do it at all. Surely, <laughs> right. <laughs> That's not the kind of language that you want to hear from someone that you're on a date with. Is it just try it one time Just see what happens. I want to see someone take Lockie on a date where they just eat the spiciest food from every country. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Line them up and like make it like the Simpsons episode where Homer eats the spiciest chili. And let me watch Lockie have that Johnny Cash delusion. You know, like let me watch him <laughs> just fucking space out like he is on shrooms in the desert. And let me see him talk to the sun. That's all I ask. <laughs> Lucky Gilbert, go on hot ones. <laughs> Look, uh, let's put all of this nonsense away because at this point, you know, there's the promise of two more threats to come. There's uh, a threat that she's going to, you know, she's going to come at him at the group date. She's also going to threaten him one more time at the batch pad. Xavier. So Lockie used to play professional gridiron. Yeah. We learned this. It's interesting. Uh, I don't know why I even pretended that was true. But anyway, ah. because Lucky used to play professional gridiron, it's therefore time for all of them to strap on their Telecasters, tune to FACGCE, and play some American football. Oh. I learned how to play this today for this. This is, this is a deep cut. Bachelor, oh my god. gave up after a while that's so <laughs> deep i feel like do you want to explain to the audience who don't um aren't familiar with the band american football what you've just done here well, i just played one of their songs okay. it's a big famous song by the band american football okay <laughs> that's all uh yeah look it is time to put all of this nonsense away and uh instead look at these women being pitted against each other in a game of gridiron football it's objectively poor tv did anyone enjoy this Mm. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, okay, so it's made more interesting by like one or two things, right? Firstly, for some fucking reason, they're all wearing these like pristine white uniforms, which I don't know how anyone decided that would be a good idea. And then it also starts absolutely bucketing with rain. Which seems extremely convenient. Right? Mm. Yeah. At, at which point do you think that they look at the they look at the weather, they consult Tim Bailey, who I guess now doesn't work for Channel 10, which is a real big shame. But they're like mm. Do you know what, Daily Bailey? When is it going to rain the heaviest in the next week and a half? Let's do this then. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they have like a Hollywood sprinkler system situation <laughs> to create the rain. Yeah, yeah. We've gone full Friday night lights on it and we're never going back. And we're also not given a reason here to explain why Juliet is for mm. some reason not on this date, even though Lockie asked her. Uh, we get, to, I mean, we get to this a little bit yeah. later, right? It's like a strategy move. It feels really conspicuous in the moment, but it does hold relevance, so we'll get there. 
I just quickly wanted to point out that these women end up with um, what I believe is a really popular new song right now, which is Wet Us Pants. <laughs> I haven't heard the explicit version, but I think that's what it is. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Uh, look, the, the, there's nothing to say here. Lockie finds um, tattooed mechanical engineer Roxy very sexy for being a, quote, weapon. Xavier's is similar to a pocket rocket. I have a feeling it's about the same thing, yeah. Yeah. Maybe slightly larger, I guess? I don't understand the sizing, but it does... Like a holstered weapon rather than like a pocket. It's icky. The kind of, this, yeah. this is not the language that we are uh, in favor of here on the BOH pod. Uh, anyway, right. swear on my eyebrows, Charlie... Um, which is a beautiful sentence. Rolls right off the mm. tongue. She tackles Roxy, uh, and now Roxy wants to tackle Charlie. Uh, Roxy calls her a little bitch. And hey, this is just a thought. Maybe instead, uh, they should be fighting it out in a venue in Melbourne to be announced for a charity Stop also it. to be announced. So you, no. you across what's happening here with Kieran and Matt? Oh, okay. yes, yes. Uh, I heard about that. What a uh, pack of fucking dingus is these boys? Ju- Jesus oh my god! Christ. Like uh, so, in the comments, Matt says that um, they're excited to get in the ring and settle their conflict. Like quote unquote, men, I vom. I'm I not here. Like, send me a passive aggressive text and then let's just internalize it, bro. <laughs> mm. Just like talk shit about each other on different like uh, podcasts, <laughs> slash, like you know tabloids or whatever. Yeah, like the normal reality TV. <laughs> Yeah, this is um this is some bad shit. If you're not up on it, Kieran and Lucky, uh wait, that's not correct. Not Kieran and Lucky at all. <laughs> no. Would pay to see it. Uh gonna fight each other, Matt and Matt and Kieran, over some dispute about Renee or Dowry. I <laughs> don't understand. <laughs> the longer we have to wait for this to happen as well, because it is like some date TBA because obviously they're in Melbourne and that's just not fucking happening. The, the more, like, weird yeah. and horrible it gets that, like, they're just going to have to artificially create some more drama or they will just, like, somehow rehash the situation that went down with Renee now almost a year ago. Yeah, I don't know. Like, the most disappointing thing about it for me was that then Lockie posted to his Instagram a screenshot of it being like, well, oh, I can see this is going really well. Who should I fight? Sound off in the comments. Fantastic. Body contact in the time of COVID-19. That's what we need. <laughs> right. Yeah. I would have thought his season would have taught him that lesson. It's, it can't go on forever. Mm, it's some truly bad shit. Lockie names Roxy the most valuable player of the group date and says there's, quote, definitely something about her, which is to say she has tattoos. The sexual magnetism is impossible to resist. <laughs> is it like a thing for people with tattoos to be more drawn to people with tattoos? <laughs> I don't I don't really know. I yeah. Maybe if you smush them together they like link up. Like a mad magazine fold out. <laughs> yeah. Gross. Uh, Roxy says that she has mad trust issues when it comes to men, um, which is good because I think that dating the same man as 23 other women should be a really painless experience for her. Yeah, it's the same as therapy. It's the same. exactly the same same thing i think we i not to not to backtrack but i think we did skip over maybe the most important part of this episode Mm. talk to me about it well so after the group date we we see some like conspirating i guess between a freshly scrubbed down ariba and nicole and caitlin and charlie who uh just sort of talking about what might be happening with loxy and rocky's that can't be their names. Lockie and Roxy's um, uh, little alone time. 
Uh, and I just really enjoy the symbolism that they're literally stirring the pot whilst stirring a little plastic microwave tray of you foods. Oh, you're um, right. We did miss the SponCon inclusion. Mm. Skimmed right over the top of that one. I mean, that moment when you foods gets more screen time than Naranga in both <laughs> Bachelor in Paradise and The Bachelorette. <laughs> Right? If only Naranga had changed his name to Magnum Tubbs. It's just a little rebranding. That's all. That's all we're doing. It's just marketing, babes. <laughs> it's just marketing. I love that they're trying to guess what's happening on this alone time. And then at the alone time, <clears throat> what's happening is they just sit down and there's like five or six hot dogs. It's a truly stunning shot where they're like just seated at the atypical batchy couch. There's nothing different about what you expect to see here, except there are just five hot dogs. Which is more hot dogs than I've seen on Australian reality TV since Big Brother in 2005. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Sometimes between two people, you need an odd number and a large number of hot dogs. Yeah, Lockie identifies that Roxy is uh, quite a bit closed off and he gives her a rose to try to calm her down in the same way as that you might like give a horse a salt lick. (laughs) You know, he's sort of like, woohoo girl. (laughs) Woo-hoo. <laughs> is woohoo the thing you say to a horse? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, but there's no kiss. Um, Roxanne puts on the red light. Uh, even though she does describe a naughty dream that she had about Lucky. Xavier, I had a naughty dream about you the other night. <laughs> that can't be true. What happened? You were littering. It was fucked. Oh, no. I would never. <laughs> so, okay. So, the naughty dream thing, I think this is a good strategy. Like, this is, yeah. a, you know, like... In the same way that, like, um, talking about food is maybe appealing to, like, his tummy or something. You want to, like, leave some kind of lasting impression that will, on some, I guess, like, base level, like, appeal to him. Um, And, you know, it works, but he's also playing very coy. And he says, what are you doing to me, girl? Like, it's hard enough already. You can't be telling me this. Do you reckon that means that Roxy's sex dream is a little bit... Three times, still not enough. <laughs> Love hearing it. I'm going to have that in my head at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> On loop. Stop using it. It's really too We'll much. just send you a download. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, Suki, are you, are you picking up what Roxy's putting down here? I think I was really thrown by the U-Foods thing, to be honest, when I was watching it. I was, like, stuck on that. But then by the time it came around, the thing that that annoyed me was, like, okay, you're going to tell him you had a dream, but then you're not going to tell him what happened in the dream. But I guess that's what she wanted. Like, she wants to drive him crazy, and she drove me a little crazy, too. Right. In the process. Right. (laughs) So uh, let's pick up back on the letter drama now, because... What's revealed is that Juliet gave up her place on the group date to Ariba to try to smooth things over after it all went down with the letter last episode. I don't know if this has ever happened. Talk to me. I'm just trying to think of like someone volunteering their space on a group date and it being directly addressed, like giving it to someone else as a favor. I just don't know. Like that's a weird new element. Right. And so, Suki, did you, what do you make of this? Like, do you think that this is um, appropriate penance for passing on a letter to The Bachelor? <laughs> well, I didn't really feel she did anything wrong, but in a weird way, I was like, well, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Surprisingly gallant. It's 
Yeah, exactly. I was like, okay, this is a little twist I didn't see coming. A lucky twist. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god, don't make me play the song again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So the the best thing about this though is um the alpacas as yeah. they're going through here. Basically, how it plays out is that they're sort of like reconciling, right? So like. Uh, Ariba's like, do you know what? Nah, I actually love you and you're the best. And Juliet's like, oh, I kind of love you too and we should get back together. And all of a sudden, they just like smash cut to these alpacas, which God knows if it's Channel 10 stock footage, who knows where (laughs) they got this from. And the alpacas are doing the like immediate turn head to camera, like I've just become self-aware kind of shit. The double take. It's really good. Yes, 100%. (laughs) I think like this is one of the nicer moments of the episode, but also what it does is completely dispels any of the like stakes and drama that may, I mean, that Hmm. were barely there to begin with, but it's also kind of like, I mean, it's not necessarily a bottle episode, but it's kind of like, you know, we've just tied up the loose ends. So like, who cares for, you know, Yeah. and there's still another like 10, 15 minutes that are going to happen. Yeah, so like they, the way that it, it resolves is that they make Juliet kiss uh, their hands and their feet, and I was like, "Look, this is weird, but it is what it is." You know, like this is f- funny. But then they start getting the alpacas to like kiss their hands and feet, and it <laughs> turns out it's just like a whole thing with them. And I don't, I don't know about that. I don't want to yuck any yums, but it's not what I tune in for. <laughs> I mean, it gave me Bachelor in Paradise flashbacks. Right. Because any time, like, the wildlife would appear on screen, it was like, drink. Right, true. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, look, I still owe Paradise some drinks, which is, um, you know, I'm getting through them, but it's not <laughs> been a pleasant few weeks. <laughs> uh, Nicole then shows up at the batch pad. Um, it looks like we're burning the entire triple threat rose in this one week. And mm. Roxy, in confessional, calls her a silly bitch for stealing the limelight from her just a day after the group date. And it's like, Roxy, do you not know how a triple threat rose works, babe? <laughs> it's like you've never heard of a triple threat rose before last week. You've never been in this situation before? <laughs> you didn't train for this your whole life? <laughs> I should note, uh, this is also after Roxy has called Charlie a little bitch for tackling her on the group date. And Xavi, uh, you're a silly little bitch. Hey, thanks very much. How do you feel about this? Uh, you know, it's good to see my people represented, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it turns out that there's another lucky twist incoming because they are literally making chips and gravy on this date, which is really lovely, but we get to see none of it because what we're instead concentrating on is everything that's happening with Roxy at the cocktail party. Right, they chop up the potatoes and then I assume they just like chuck them out. Because we don't even look at them for a moment. Furious. Give me the chips. It's Chekhov's chips. You announced them at the start of the episode. I need a payoff. <laughs> it's it's Schrodinger's chips. Do we know if they're cooked or not? Right. No one's sure. He mentions yeah. the gravy. They didn't make the gravy. He just waves his hand over to one side and he goes, Who is going to make the, the gravy, gra- Xavi? <laughs> here's some I prepared earlier. Right. <laughs> Also, I noticed that he answers the door with ahoy hoy, which the only reason yes. that, I mean, I love it, but it also, the only reason that that would happen is they did like 15 to 20 takes of him answering the door with different greetings. And that was the best <laughs> yep. one. It's like, yep, that one, that one sticks. Yeah. We're going yeah. with ahoy hoy. This is it. This is what we like. They had like five or six hellos and they were like, oh, sorry, the lighting guy wasn't standing in the right place or whatever. And he's like, what about salutations? Right. I like that. Right. I this would is... love for that to come back into fashion. Salutations. Hello. 
Thank you. Next uh, week on the podcast, this is... that's how we'll open it up. <laughs> Salutations! <laughs> yes, do it. <laughs> do you reckon that's how Richie landed on Cool Bananas way back in the day? Do you think that they just workshopped a bunch Maybe. and Cool Bananas was the best that he... thousand percent. Yeah. They needed a catchphrase. Right. He was like, good fruit? <laughs> and the producer's like, come on. <laughs> Excellent. You'll get there. Oranges. No, no, no. <laughs> Um, terrific raspberry. <laughs> uh, getting closer. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing to note here is that Ariba seems to have found herself a faction. Um, it's Ariba. It's not Juliet. Uh, it's the wedding dress intruder, and it's Christina from the last episode. And I really like. I I kind of love this. Like they're sort of Chris, uh, Ariba is like out for the girls, and she says if anyone's going to get time with the bachelor. It's going to be me and my girls. And it's like, okay, yeah. go off. I kind of love seeing this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Most of the time people are not there to make friends. It's kind of nice for someone to be like, hey, th- this is already going great for me. I made some like real pals. We got some besties here. Um, Suki, did you feel this? What were you, what were you thinking as you were watching Ariba and the girls team up? I was kind of the same. I was like, okay, this is the Ariba, the original Ariba that we saw just like five seconds earlier that we liked. Yeah. Right, right. 100%. She's back. <laughs> and it's such a survivor thing as well to have like an alliance and that makes you stronger as a group. Right. It is smart. I think that that is, um, you know, it's going to be something to look out for as we go through because you even saw earlier in the episode what happens when someone turns their back on the alliance. Mm. And then there's just kind of nothing again. Roxy is upset uh, that Lockie has his attention. Like, kind of? Elsewhere, kind of. I don't know. And then we get another, like, hey, this is going to be continued in the next episode. I think Roxy, will be stretching out. Like, Roxy's final line is something about how because Juliet didn't go on the group date and she said that she was sick, that means that she's a liar and she's the fakest one in this goddamn house. When really it's just like, you know those things, like when you see an old movie and you're like, fuck, this could be solved with a mobile phone or whatever. It's the same thing here where it's like, fuck, this could be solved with like a very brief conversation. Like someone Every episode really of Friends just, or Seinfeld, yes. Yeah, someone really just needs to like quickly explain this to her and there would be nothing to worry about at all. And that's like... But that's a cliffhanger. Where we leave it? Yeah. Yeah, it's really odd. Uh... But I guess that's what we've got to look forward to next week is finding out more about what Roxy thinks about Juliet leaving the date with Ariba. Do you think it's going to be all cocktail party again for the next episode? Oh. Oh. Oh, that's such a deflating thought. What if that's the what we're doing now, you know? I don't want it to be. No. I really hope it's not. The only thing is we know it can't last. I I have a feeling, I heard somewhere that there's only like seven or eight episodes pre-COVID or even like slightly less, like it starts really making an impact um, pretty soon. So I think whatever sense of normalcy slash more boring than usual um, that we have right now is probably not going to last too long. I don't know if I like it, but uh, that's kind of where we wrap things up for another episode of The Bachelor of Hearts podcast. Sukriti Wahi, thank you so much for joining us. This thank has been a pleasure. You. Thank you for having me. It's a perfect way to finish uh, Friday. <laughs> hey, so uh, <laughs> what we'll do is we'll chuck some links to your work in the Bachelor of Hearts Osh Posting Facebook group. Can you tell us again where we can find you on the internet? You can find me on Instagram at Sukriti Wahi. 
Shall I spell it again? Please. S U K R I T I W A H I. And that is what I do at the end of every phone call to the bank. To the- <laughs> yeah. God. You got to really emphasize the R too, otherwise they don't hear it. R. Got to do the American Hard R. Hard R. Yeah. 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 Well, look, um, thank you for the education. Thank you for the pronunciation. <laughs> Thank you for all of it. Look, uh, we've we've had the best time, and uh, yeah, we'd love to have you back on the pod uh, a little bit further down the line. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to come back. Well, Xavi, well, Maxie. <laughs> oh, another friend made. Uh, another one. Chalk it up. Uh, that's got to be a record. Most number of friends ever had by me. That friendship Rolodex is just, it's expanding in size. We've got to get one it of those Bellroy stuffed. wallets. You seen them? I got to get one of those like electronic, like, I, I don't know if you heard about this, but you can get it like built into like a mobile telephone. Oh yeah. Like a phone that you can carry around wherever you go. And it also remembers all of the names of your friends and stuff like oh, that. That sounds fucking awesome. Wouldn't that be cool? It'd be cool to be able to scan it and be like, hold on one second. Xavier. Yeah. And then I'd I'd love that. Hello. And that's how a phone. Yeah. We'll probably say other stuff after that too. I I mean, like one one can only assume, but you know, it's a brave new world and I'm not familiar with it. No, nor am I. Bit of a short ep because these fucking batches are so short. These, I mean, the episodes are short, but I feel like we, uh, we got the most out of it that we could. And I'm so happy uh, for Sukriti to be on the pod. And Same. that was, you know, that was a, a guest that I've been angling for for a little while. And I'm really happy that we were able to make it happen. Yeah, me too. Fab. Um, well, Maxi, thank you Save. for joining me. Thank you. I Do you have something to say about well, how? I would also well, quickly just like to thank the Zave Heads um, uh, out there. Yep. Zave Head Army growing stronger by the day. Yep. Um, still no sign of uh, like a Max fan group joining. Which yeah, is... look, you know, we keep it on the DL. I see. Right. You guys are doing like a little. Kind of more underground. <laughs> like a dark web thing or something? Well, a little bit dark web, but a little bit more just like if you know, you know. Mm, okay. Mm. Well, uh, sounds fucking good. <laughs> Whatever. Um, save heads come at me. Uh, and, uh, you know, we not all of us are save heads. Some of us are just friends. <laughs> I don't know where this segue is. Um, you know, we actually did come to the world of podcasting to make friends. We sure did. Um, not just each other. Although, can I just say, you're a great friend, Max. What a beautiful friendship we have. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, but if you want to get a taste of it, you know. Yeah, if you'd like to be part of it. Yeah. Um, why don't you come on down to the Battle of Hearts Osh Posting Facebook group. Um, or you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Pod. You can also find me on those social media websites at XavierRN. I've yet to post a TikTok, but one of these days I'm going to think of a really good one. Max, are you online? Yeah, you can get me on the internet at Baal Karen. <laughs> really good. This is Thank the parallel you. version. Listeners, look, that's it. We that's love you. The end of the show. Goodbye. Goodbye.
for years Hearing your voice, music to my ears From the first moment you entered my life Just one hope